Welcome to the Intersection of Faith and the Culture. It's Wall Builders. We're taking on the hot topics of the day from a biblical, historical, and constitutional perspective. And our website, wallbuilders.com, uh, has all kinds of great DVDs and books and, and resources there. And one of those is a television series called Foundations of Freedom. And this week on Wall Builders, we're sharing those programs with you. And yesterday, uh, we dove into the Foundations of Law with Michelle Bachman. We're going to get the conclusion right now, Foundations of Freedom. Here's David Barton and Michelle Bachman. Michelle, great to have you with us. Thanks for being here. Great to be here today. And I'm looking forward to unlocking some secrets here as well that a lot of Americans aren't familiar with, and that's really dealing with important issues and a scary word called jurisdiction, but it's actually such a blessing. Yeah. Not only for Americans, because just that issue alone, we'll unpack it during the mm-hmm. course of this conversation, but people will learn how this gives us freedom and how this gives us the ability to be able to take what our talents are and be creative and build up the society and how where you have violations of jurisdiction in other countries, people aren't quite so free. And now we even see that impact here in the United States. I can't wait to hear what you have to say about it. So I'm looking forward to, as a matter of fact, do you mind if we start with our first question? Let's do it. There seem to be so many laws addressing moral and religious issues, where you can and can't pray, how you can pray, the marriage issue, all those things. I was just wondering, what's up with all these laws? Very simple answer is jurisdictions, that word you were talking about. Let's define it first. Jurisdictions, probably the best way to define it is, let me, let me give a couple of examples. I'm from Texas. You're from Minnesota. I've got to pick up. You probably don't. <laughs> Mine's red. Yours probably isn't. And I decide I really like red. So I go over to your house and spray paint your car red. I can't do that. That's not my jurisdiction. That car belongs to you. It doesn't belong to me. I can spray paint anything. I want red if it belongs to me. I can't spray paint stuff that belongs to you. So jurisdiction, it's an area. It's a fence. It's a fence. It's It's your neighborhood. And it says, I have authority right here. Right here. This is my stuff. I'm in control of this. But I don't have authority here. That's right. And I don't have authority here. That's right. Or here, or here. A neighborhood with all those fences. What I do here. Right there. It's not just geography. Oh, no. No. It's more than geography. It's responsibilities. That's your jurisdiction. an example of your jurisdiction in your own life. Where are some areas where you have jurisdiction? In my own life, I have jurisdiction over what I learn. I'm responsible for what I learn. I'm responsible for what I say. I have jurisdiction over my words. I have jurisdiction over my behavior. I'm accountable to God for my behavior. I'm accountable to civil laws for my behavior. Those are all things that I can control. No one else can control that. I can't control your behavior. Now, I might can punish you if you do something wrong because that's the jurisdiction of government, but I can't control your behavior. And here's another example. One night I was watching a show and they have 19 children in this homeschooling family. And one of the little boys said that he had an area of jurisdiction. He was a five-year-old and he had to go and I think um, take the laundry out of the washing machine and put it in the dryer. He understood that this was his area of authority where he had something to do. So it isn't just a government official. It isn't just an adult. Each one of us has an area of authority, an area of responsibility. If you're a husband, if you're a wife, if you're a child, if you're an employee, employer, if you're a neighbor, if you're a government official. 
And so where it impacts all of us, this issue of jurisdiction, because government is supposed to be limited under our form of government. So the president only has so much authority. That's right. No further. That's right. Because the Constitution tells the president under Article 2, you get to do this. It'd be the executive. You get to enforce Mm -hmm. our laws. But, Mr. President... You can't make the laws. That's right. That's Congress. Nor I'm can Congress. judges make the laws. Judges Nor can, can make judges. The... That's right. Another that's area right. of jurisdiction. Because they get to interpret that's right. law. And that's when we get messed up a little bit. And we'll see, what, what becomes an important thing here is who's in charge? Who can tell me what my jurisdiction is? And that's a question that has to be answered. Now, it, it was answered originally for 380 years in America was God defined jurisdictions first. And then within jurisdictions, people define those jurisdictions. For example, you have Matthew 22, 21, where Jesus said, look, you render to Caesar what's Caesar's, you render to God what's God. You got a line here that separates them. That's where we had institutional separation of church and state. We never separate God out of anything, but we don't let church so officials government run government. secular. That's right. Government's not secular, but government doesn't run the church and the church doesn't run the government until we got into about 371 AD. Emperor Theodosius. And where was he? He was considered world emperor at the time. He was taking over the world. Emperor of the world. Uh, Of the world. Why don't we hear about him? Well, we don't and we should, but we do such a lousy job on history. There's a lot of people we don't hear about. But Theodosius is the first guy to say, oh, wait a minute, I'm a Christian. I decree Christianity, the only religion you can follow. If you're not a Christian, you're going to get killed. So he was a government ruler. He was a government ruler. And a government ruler who mandated what everyone's religion. What everybody's going to believe and what they're going to to punish them if they didn't follow that religion. And I imagine that didn't work out real well. Well, it led to 1,200 years of what we now call the Dark Ages. And the government officials put the Bible out of reach from the common person. And as a matter of fact, when Wycliffe and Huston and other guys just tried to make it in English so we could read it, they got themselves killed by civil officials. Original laws. This is is the right time, I think, to interject what most of the viewers have heard, which is Thomas Jefferson, separation of church and state. And so most viewers think that what Jefferson was saying is that government should have absolutely nothing to do with religion, right? Dead wrong. Dead wrong. And what we learn is that Not only should uh, government not have anything to do with religion, but we shouldn't even be allowed to speak about religious things in the public square. But he was writing a letter to the Danbury Baptist, Mm -hmm. wasn't he? And in that letter, he was saying just the opposite, right? Well, see, what you have is coming into Jefferson time frame, America was founded fighting for separation church and state because you had Henry VIII who said, I'm going to sit at my own church. I'll do what I want to do. Another I'm, civil government official Europe, mandated religion. Across Europe, it was the state taking over the church and saying, here's what your doctrines are going the to be. State the state taking over the church. church. That's the important that point. And when that happens, when the state takes it over, you do not get freedom of conscience. You do not get freedom. You lose of, your liberty. And, and so what and happens? that's what was so big in the United States. We changed that. That's right. For example, the French said, you will be Catholic. Well, 400,000 people left the country for not being Catholics. They came to America. They founded largely New York and South Carolina, but they came here seeking religious freedom. So you have Protestants that came out of France. You have uh, Jews that came out of Portugal because they were told you've got to be a Christian. Well, they come to America. And, uh, people don't uh, recognize that. The, no, there was no, no. a large Jewish population large Jewish that population. came in, again, seeking freedom of seeking conscience. Freedom. Freedom to worship. Because the state's not supposed to tell us what our doctrines are. That, that's a church response. That's not a state response. That's a jurisdiction of the church, not of the state. But the state has taken over the jurisdiction of the church. So you get all these people coming to America that say, we want a separation church and state. We don't want the state telling us what our doctrines are going to be. 
yet one more reason why the United States was truly a shining city That's right. on a hill. It was. Because the whole thinking in the world at that time was civil government overstepping their authority. Out of their jurisdiction. Out of their jurisdiction, because if you read the Bible, the Bible tells us what civil government can do. That's right. And what, what the church they can't can do. do. And what parents can do. But it doesn't say that civil government can tell you or tell me what our religion is going to be. It tells you exactly the opposite, actually, because you had King Uzziah in Second Chronicles 26 who steps into the temple and says, I've decided I'm going to become a priest. I'm going to offer sacrifices in the temple. And the priest said, whoa, you're the civil leader. We're the religion. He said, don't ever tell a king what a king can. And he tried to offer it. And God struck him down at the altar because he overstepped the jurisdiction. Jurisdiction, that's how jurisdiction. important it is to God. Government that won't recognize jurisdictions. The church wasn't taking over the government. The government was taking over the church. That's right. And, and it, it's the one that encroaches most often. And that's what Jefferson and, saw. And that's what Jefferson saw. So you have this background. These guys come to America. When they get here, they separate church and state. The pilgrims separated church and state. Now, they didn't take God out of anything. Now, think of what that means, separation of church and state. What did it look like to our early fathers yeah. and mothers? It was keeping God in the middle of everything, but you did not allow the leaders of the civil government to tell you what church to attend, what your conscience beliefs were, what you would be penalized with. I actually have laws. Penalty was the key. Penalty was that key. was your key word. It was coercion. Because now civil government would penalize me because I didn't believe the way they wanted me to. And guess what? That is not civil government's jurisdiction. Let's just Only God. Only God. And let's roll it for 300 years. They objected to the government telling you what words you could and couldn't use when you prayed. They objected to the government telling you what your beliefs of conscience would and wouldn't be and what you would do as followers. They objected to government saying you can't do these religious exercises in public. You'd have to do them in private. All the things that are happening today that government's doing, and government's now coercing conscience, those are religious decisions? That's right, because what you've just done, David, is you tied what's happened here in America in the last few months with what the founders foresaw in the Declaration of Independence. Because the Declaration of Independence made it very, very clear that governments were instituted among men. Why? To secure for you and me and all of our posterity my inalienable rights. In other words, government doesn't have the jurisdiction to give me the right of my conscience. Well, let's go back to Jefferson, because Jefferson got the letter, as you said, from the Danbury Baptist. Now, why is it significant that he got from the Baptist? Because Jefferson lived in a state of Virginia that had a state-established church. It was the Anglican Church, the, the same official church in Great Britain. This is before we became America, before a, we became nation. a nation. The different states had their own well, religion. They had a lot of people don't realize churches. that. That's a state right. religion. And, and in Virginia, you had you had the Anglicans jailing and killing and imprisoning Baptists and Presbyterians and Methodists and Quakers because you aren't doing the Anglican thing. And you, you were forced to pay you're for, forced, for you're, the Everybody's that. forced to pay and for follow, the Anglican church. And violate your conscience. That's right. And Jefferson is the guy who stepped in and said no. All denominations are equal in Virginia. And so in 1776... And that's so huge that Jefferson said on his tombstone, I mean, think what you want on your tombstone, what I want on my tombstone. He said, rather than putting on that he was president of the United States, States, he wanted written on his tombstone that he was the one who was involved with religious liberty. To secure religious liberty see, for every man he was and not, woman. It's not a secular move. He wasn't making things no, secular. No, he was right. saying, government, leave them alone. 
And so when he becomes president of the United States, the Danbury Baptists are in a state that still has a state-established denomination even at that point. While he's president, they still have Connecticut uh, did not disestablish their denomination until 1818. So we're talking 1801, the Danbury Baptists wrote Jefferson said, we're really concerned. I, I mean, we are guaranteed our free exercise of religion, but that's a government guarantee and it's not supposed to be. That guarantee came from God, not from government. Recently, this has been a big, big issue. Well, let, let's take that because God establishes jurisdictions and, and, and God comes areas in. Areas of authority. Areas of authority. Areas of authority. He said, here's what the family does. Here's what the church does. Here's what civil government does. Now, within civil government, these are the areas that civil government can do. So in that area, the people become the authority in that area. God's already established the, the fences. Now, how things are going to run inside that fence, we determine. So we come up with the Constitution, we the people, and it says federal government. There's a lot of governments out here. We got local governments, we got school board governments, we got city governments, we got state governments, we got federal governments. Here's the deal. We're telling you, federal government, there's 17 things you can do out of all the tens of millions under of the things, Constitution. Under the Constitution. We're giving you a Constitution. That Constitution says you can do 17 things and nothing else. Everything else belongs to us. Okay, now that's a really big point. That, that's, that's a, a huge point. really big point because now government has irrigated to itself so much more yeah, than that limitation. Right. So again, I, I think we'd want to encourage all of your viewers to pick up a copy of the Constitution. Right. Pick up a copy of the Declaration. You'll be floored when you see the president is only told to faithfully execute, execute the, the law. laws on the books. Who makes the laws? Congress. Oh. Hi friends, this is Tim Barton of Wall Builders. This is a time when most Americans don't know much about American history or even Hebrews of the faith. And I know oftentimes for parents, we're trying to find good content for our kids to read. And if you remember back to the Bible, to the book of Hebrews, it has the Faith Hall of Fame where they outlined the leaders of faith that had gone before them. Well, this is something that as Americans, we really want to go back and outline some of these heroes, not just of American history, but heroes of Christianity and our faith as well. I want to let you know about some biographical sketches we have available on our website. One is called the Courageous Leaders Collection. And this collection includes people like Abigail Adams, Abraham Lincoln, Francis Scott Key, George Washington Carver, Susanna Wesley, even the Wright brothers. And there's a second collection called Heroes of History. In this collection, you'll read about people like Benjamin Franklin or Christopher Columbus, Daniel Boone, George Washington, Harriet Tubman, Friends, the list goes on and on. This is a great collection for your young person to have and read, and it's a providential view of American and Christian history. This is available at wallbuilders.com. That's www.wallbuilders.com. I am one of the privileged 435 members of the House of Representatives. We make the laws because that's what our Constitution said. We the people told you, you guys so make let's, the laws. So let's rightfully understand our government. It begins from an understanding of a holy God. That's right. Then it begins with that understanding of a God and people, the people of this country wrote down in that's a right. Constitution for our protection the limits of what our government could do way, was written in that Let me document. touch that for just a minute. Why did we write it down? Because that was not what they did in Great Britain. To this day, they still do not have yeah, a written constitution right. there. Right. But you had all these Bible-minded people that came to America. And so as you look at the early sermons, for example, Thomas Hooker, one of the founders of Connecticut, preached a great sermon on this. Why do we write everything down? By the way, Reverend Nathaniel Ward gave them their first written bill of rights, 100, 100 rights that are protected from government. Why'd they do that? Why not? Otherwise, you don't know. Well, but see, the reason they did was because that's the Bible. When God says, hey, I've got a nation, 
I'm writing the laws with my own finger. And then Moses wrote down the laws of Moses, and then every king of Israel after that, when they were, were anointed, were to write down with their own hand every law, and then that way we got something to go back to. Every, and so we have a written constitution so that every individual citizen can go back to it and say, whoa, this is your jurisdiction. It's written down right here, Article 1, Section 8, Paragraph 8. And, and that's, that's why there's this whole postmodern idea called deconstruction, yeah. that words are meaningless. Yeah. That's the whole philosophy of relativism. We aren't about relativism. We're fixed. We're about a fixed right. moral absolutes because if you want success, you need to have a fixed moral absolute. For instance, if you and I make a contract together, it protects It needs to be us. fixed, that's it right. It has to be fixed. It's, it's like you lose the most important thing you have, your liberty, your ability that's to right. be able to construct contracts, property law, tort law, whatever it is, you lose that benefit yeah. of certainty. So you have a God who is the example of law. Then you have a written constitution. And then under our constitution, you have an executive who enforces right. the law. You All have written the, down. The legislative who who writes the law, written down. creates it, and then the judicial that interprets it. That's right. But the judicial can't be the legislative. The legi legislative can't be the judicial. The legislative can't be executive. That's executive right. can't be judicial. If the law is not on the books, you can't execute, you can't execute it. it. And you can't make it. You and you the can't make it. But if there it. are laws, like for instance, marriage is between a man, man and, a, and woman. a woman, and the execute. president said, "I'm not going to execute that law." I don't think it's constitutional. Well, he is not the Supreme Court. The court is the court. Yeah. They're the ones who need to decide if yeah. marriage is between a man and a woman. That's what people wrote it as. You see, it impacts every person watching this show. Every, of... every person's life is impacted by jurisdiction. What's your area of authority? Because when somebody oversteps their bound, you lose. Lose your liberties, your freedoms. And that's why the founders said, this is everything. You know, this is everything. I want to go into the chamber where you serve because in, in your the chamber, House of Representatives, House of Representatives Washington, Washington, D.C., around in the, the top, U.S. Capitol, 23 lawgivers are, are honored because that is the place where the law comes is out of the House. So you have 23 lawgivers and they're all side profile views except for one, and that's Moses. And can I just say, I have literally had tears come to my eyes. I've given speeches on this on the House floor. I stand in that chamber surrounded by the greatest lawgivers yeah. in history, uh, Solon, Suleiman, uh, Justinian, uh, Innocent III, Hammurabi, all of the lawgivers of history, like Rocious. you said, in their side profile, but above the main double doors, the doors that the President of the United States enters when he's going to give the State of the Union address, that door is the door above that has a full-on, full-face view of only one lawgiver, and that's of Moses. And as we know, a holy God gave to Moses the moral law and the Ten Commandments, the law upon which every other law yeah. has descended, and upon which no other law, if it violates that moral law, could stand, yeah. because that is the ultimate law. How interesting, the face of Moses looks down upon the Speaker of the House. That's right. The speaker stands at the dais and looks up at Moses. So, too, the president of the United States, when he delivers his address to the nation and to the members of Congress and the Supreme Court and the ambassadors and all the heads of state, this is a very important moment in the United States when our president does that. He looks directly, directly into Moses. the face of Moses because we understand in this country that we are a nation of laws, not men. 
But when you become secular, you ignore jurisdictions. Those jurisdictions given by the lawgiver of the Bible, given by Moses through God. And, and it's and it's so sad this thing because right it here, degrades us it does. as a nation. It degrades our liberties and it degrades the greatness of a nation. And that's what God understood from Old Testament times. The greatness of a nation is built up by his law. With this. this is the Ten Commandments. This is what we say Moses, the, the great lawgiver. He gave lots of laws, 613, but also the Ten Commandments. God gave it to him. This particular copy is the copy that went to the U.S. Supreme Court case in 1980 called Stone v. Graham. Yeah. This is the case in which the Supreme Court said, oh, you can't let kids see this. They might. This is the one? This is the one. <laughs> you can't let kids see this. They might obey things like don't kill and don't steal and don't purge yourself. Don't lie. You know, right. The court said if kids were to see this, they might obey it. Now, what's interesting is Moses gave this in 1440 B.C. There's one other lawgiver in the chamber there that precedes Moses, and that is Hammurabi, and he's 1772 B.C. Now, this case that went through Stone v. Graham, we were involved in a lot of the Ten Commandments cases. That was a really popular thing 20, 25 years ago. And as these were hanging in courthouses... Was to remove them. Remove Remember the ACLU and other organizations. Their goal was to strip out of the United States a sense from all Americans, especially children, to not understand. That's right. The moral, the moral basis laws. of America. That's right. And, and it's interesting. In America, it was always easier to find the Ten Commandments hanging in a courthouse than a church house, because this is the basis <laughs> of civil true. law. It it's was true. Inside the U.S. Supreme Court is more than fifty-nine depictions of the Ten Commandments inside the Supreme Court. I've seen. And they ruled it. So. With all this, as we were going through these cases, Hammurabi, the the court said, you know, uh, we we could let you leave the Ten Commandments up if you surrounded it with other documents that influenced American law. And they said, for example, if you were to put up the Ten Commandments and the Code of Hammurabi and Justinian's Code, then we could leave it. Well, first off, that told me they knew nothing about history because they think this is too religious. The Code of Justinian, Justinian is one of the lawgivers in the house. Yes. The Code of Justinian begins with the phrase, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> and you got trouble with this, and you're telling me, hey, Justinian? And then they say, oh, it's got to be documents that influenced American history, like Hammurabi's Code, because he's 350 years before most. Time out. They didn't discover Hammurabi's Code till 1901. It was not translated till 1904. I don't We're think that had much yeah, influence. And, and see... What's interesting is why did the Code of Hammurabi not survive and the Code of Moses, why did it survive? Tell it's me. real easy. Let me let me read to you two laws uh, from Hammurabi. There's, there's 282 laws in, in his code. It says, law number two, if anyone bring an accusation against the man and the accused go to the river and leap in the river, if he sink in the river, his accuser shall take possession of his house. But if the river proves that the accused is not guilty and he escape unhurt, then he who had brought the accusation shall be put to death, while he who leaped into the river shall take possession of the house that had belonged to the accuser. See, that's why the Code of Hammurabi did not survive. And where in the world ever in United States laws uh, any of that do we ever, ever see any of this replicated? No. It's nonsense. This is what we use, and we're saying, oh, we can't acknowledge it. See, this establishes jurisdictions. This is part of God's law. And this is universal. I don't care what age you live in. I don't care how far you think you've evolved. This applies 6,000 years ago. It applies now and it applies 6,000 years from now. And tell me which parent wants their child to steal or wants them to kill or wants them to go and lie about people or desire something that wants somebody else so much. Separation church and state. Well, that's right. But what's amazing is that this is our key for happiness. That's right. It has been that's for right. all time, it and is. it is today. And again, it comes down to 
jurisdiction areas of authority, there isn't one person that's watching this interaction between us that doesn't have an area of jurisdiction. Because God, in his love for each individual, again, it goes back to how God doesn't see us in groups. Think of how amazing a God is, that he loves each one of us so much that we have dignity and worth and a voice. And in a system of government like the United States, he has given the maximum amount of voice to the individual and yet allowed us to be able to live together at peace among all men. What a beautiful thing and why we must contend for this. That's right. We can't let it go. That's our action items because if you're going to understand jurisdictions, you have to understand God's the one who established them. Then if you don't understand how they work, read the Constitution. That's what lays out so many of those jurisdictions, and it tells us what the jurisdictions are. I mean, that, that's the starting it's place. It's black and white. It's as clear as it could possibly be. Article 1, that's Article right. 2, Article 3. How long would it take someone to read it? 20 minutes, maybe. Okay, 20 minutes. It's everybody could do that. Absolutely everybody has time to do that. But before you do that, take, what, 10 minutes and yep. read the Declaration of Independence. That's kind of the whole philosophy behind that's the, the Constitution. You got you to read that first. If you don't get the Declaration, Declaration you don't get the foundation. Because then that. it puts meat on the bones of jurisdiction, area of authority. But there's something that even backs up before the Declaration, before the Constitution. And that is... Well, it's actually the Bible. Because in that jurisdiction that's there in the Constitution, you have like the three branches of government that you yeah. mentioned. That comes directly out of the Bible. And out of the Bible. What, that's, what's that scripture? It's Isaiah 33, 22. Okay, so everybody has to read Isaiah 33, 22. It says, the Lord our God is our lawgiver, our judge, and our king. That sounds like judiciary, hmm. legislative, and executive. Yeah. And interestingly enough, John Adams himself said, well, not only that, but the reason that we separated the, the powers, we have checks and balances, is Jeremiah 17, 9. What? Most folks have never read that. The Founders Bibles got all these explanations from the founders on the Bible verses they use. So you start with reading the Constitution, read the Declaration, read the Bible, which includes the Ten Commandments. Learn these things. Get to where you know these. Something tells me we're going to be talking a little more about separation of powers. I think that'll be very important. That's a key. That's this is key. so great. This has been a great, great time. Thank you so much. Well, these are the documents that are part of our Foundations of Freedom, and that's exactly what we, gotta, we want to learn. We've got our know. work to do, and we're going to do right. it. We're out of time for today, folks. You've been listening to David Barton and Congresswoman Michelle Bachman talking about the Foundations of Law. All right, thanks so much for listening. You've been listening to Wall Builder. We stand undivided forever you.